This week, the country celebrates Halloween. Uh, the business experts tell us that Halloween is now the second biggest retail event behind Christmas. Nearly, the statisticians say that nearly one in two households in the UK will mark Halloween. And that figure actually jumps to eight out of ten for, for millennials, sort of those aged between 28 and 36. And it jumps to nine out of ten families with toddlers will celebrate Halloween. Now consider for a minute what that means. It means one in two households will be celebrating death rather than life. It means eight out of ten millennials will be glorifying witchcraft rather than God. It means nine out of ten parents with toddlers will go around dressing these precious little ones like the devil or a witch or a scary character or even a demon. Halloween, of course, is crucial. Uh, is a crucial holiday for weekends. Their official religion of witchcraft, that's their annual year. Uh, it is also an important day for many Satanists and other dangerous cults. Now, to most people, when I mention this, uh, uh, it's, it all sounds very out of touch. Uh, it almost sounds very third world for me to mention these things. Uh, many people really do not believe there is such a thing as evil, even. And those who believe in evil, many of them do not believe there is such a thing as Satan or evil spirits. Interesting enough, a yoga poor Dan a few years ago revealed that only one in five people in the UK believe that Satan exists. And when they ask those who identify themselves as Christian, only one in four of those who would say they are professing Christians believe that the devil exists. Interesting, but here is why that matters. It matters, I think, because if the Satan doesn't exist, then he's not the origin of evil. Evil is just something people have invented. So those who rape, maim, and kill others are not doing anything evil in particular. It's just another person's opinion. And you see, in a world without a real Satan, there is no spiritual evil. Uh, it is a meaningless world where evil is just a matter of opinion. Your evil is my good. My evil is your good. A bit like your terrorist is my freedom fighter. But you see, if Satan does exist, as the Bible says, then we need to know the truth about him. Who is this evil person? What is Satan trying to accomplish? And how does it affect you? And of course, by God's providence, uh, we have been doing that Bible study, looking at those questions for the last Three months. It hasn't been the most well attended of any Bible studies I've done, but we've been looking at that. And I think it's important to look at that question. And it's, it's amazing that God providentially now brings us the text we are looking at today after three months of detailed work. So I'm quite sure as I speak to some of you about this truth today, you're already experts, perhaps more than me on this issue, and, and you already understand it. You've been looking at this for the last 14 weeks. We need to know about Satan. 
Because you see, think about it this way. I am sure you'd like to know if a powerful criminal lived next door to you. You'd like to know if, 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 if your boss really is a good person or is very evil, wouldn't you? Well, what more, Satan? Uh, to borrow from Lord Ain, Lord Peter Ain, this week, he said, I would say it is in the public interest to know about Satan. Well, this morning we are looking at the truth about Satan. And there is no one qualified in all human history to tell us about Satan than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God dressed in the rags of human flesh. Everything that exists was created by him, through him, and for him. And, of course, that includes the fallen angel Satan himself. So Jesus knows all about Satan. And we are currently in Mark 3. For those of you who have been with us, you remember last Sunday evening we left the family of Jesus on their way to Galilee. Where are they coming from? They are coming from Nazareth. They have come because of Jesus is doing miracles and they are not happy. So they have come to bind Jesus and take him back to Nazareth. They have come to Capernaum trying to bind him and take him back to Nazareth because they believe he's gone mad. In the meantime, the religious experts have also left Jerusalem. They are also coming to see Jesus. Everybody is traveling to see Jesus. And they are coming to investigate. They are on a public inquiry, you might say. They are coming to investigate Jesus. What are these miracles he's doing? Of course, they've already made up their minds that they are planning to kill him because in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we left the Pharisees and the Herodians going away to plot the death of Jesus. Well, they've now sent experts just to validate their already existing conclusions. And they've come to see what Jesus is up to. And these Jerusalem theologians, the scribes, cannot wait to tell their findings, it seems. It seems they've already called the media and they have declared their assessment in verse 22. Look at verse 22 of Mark chapter 3, verse 22, which is also in front of your outline. It says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Bezebub, And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And they are basically saying Jesus is possessed by this Bezebo. Bezebo is just another name for Satan. Uh, It could mean Lord of the Flies, or it could mean from the Old Testament name, uh, Bel, the prince, so to speak, or Lord of the Temple. We don't quite know, but what we do know is that the name is just another name for Satan. These religious leaders are saying to Jesus, look, you are not the son of God. You are the son of Satan. Now, imagine if someone said that about you. How would you react if somebody said that? Imagine also if you had divine power like Jesus. What would you do at the moment you heard someone called you the son of Satan? Well, I think many of us would do what the character called Q from Star Trek does, you know. When he gets fed up with his infinite power, he just sort of takes away their mouth or he turns them into an animal or something. I think many of us would probably shut their mouths of these religious experts forever, if we could, if they insulted us like that. But we have been watching... uh, We have been watching... uh, We have been watching... 
the Lord Jesus through our mark. And we've seen that Jesus is full of love and grace to us, beloved. He's a wonderful Savior. And instead of punishing them, he uses this opportunity to teach them the truth about two things. The truth about Satan and the truth about sin. This morning we are looking at the truth about Satan. And this that will be verse 22 to verse 27. And this evening we'll look at the truth about sin. This sermon, this, this two sermons are really set together. And so let's this morning look at the truth about Satan. There are two things in front of your outline I just want to share that the Lord Jesus teaches us about Satan. The first truth is that Satan has undivided power over us. Satan has undivided power over us. So in Matthew chapter 3 there, verse 22, we see that the scribes are calling Jesus the son of Satan. And Jesus responds to them with a rhetorical question in verse 23. Let's read it. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Jesus is posing this rhetorical question. He's basically saying to them, look, you are right that Satan is a real person, but you are seriously wrong about how Satan behaves and what he's actually trying to accomplish in this world. I wonder about you, if we went outside, if I, if I went around this church and I asked you what you thought, what image came to your mind um, if, if, when I mentioned the word Satan? I wonder what image comes to your mind. I'm pretty sure if we went outside and we asked our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors about what image comes to your mind when they think of the word Satan, uh, some of them would say, well, you know, they say the image of a creature with horns, perhaps, uh, maybe a tail. Uh, maybe a pitch, pitchfork, right? You know, you see in movies. Well, some may say an image of a sort of Lord Voldemort uh, from, from Harry Potter, you know, a, a human being who's become terribly evil. Uh, and some people may say the image that comes to your mind is sort of maybe the dark force in Star Wars. Because for some people, evil really is a force rather than a person. And these are just some of the images that come to your mind. And we need to remember that when we read the Bible and the word certain is used, we ourselves may be taking on some of these cultural images. And we may become skeptical when the Bible mentions about a real supernatural person called certain. Because that's what the Bible says certain is. Certain is a rational, supernatural person. He is a powerful fallen angel who brought evil into our world and he lives in the demonic realm and is ruling and reigning over this world because he lives to promote evil in this world. And that's why, because Satan is a person and is rational, that's why Jesus poses this rhetorical question. He says, Satan cannot rise against Satan because the fundamental drive of Satan is to preserve his power over this world. Look at verse 24 to verse 26. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. 
Jesus is saying the goal of Satan is to preserve his power, is to keep his power over us by enslaving us, us human beings. Satan is not interested, as the scribes think, in setting people free. Only Jesus is interested in that. Satan is interested in keeping human beings in an invisible spiritual cage. And Jesus here uses two images to convey the present power of Satan over us. Did you notice the images Jesus uses? First of all, Satan is like a prince ruling with the iron fist over his kingdom. Look at verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. It's a parable, but Jesus is conveying something about Satan's organization. He calls it a kingdom. Now, Omar al-Bashir has a firm grip on power in the Sudan. His ethnic cleansing killed over 300,000 people. The International Criminal Court says how Bashir is is actually stolen 9 billion US dollars from his people. Kim Jong-un in North Korea runs a totalitarian police state that exerts complete control over the media, public executions happen, massive prison camps, and forced abortions. And Christians are being systematically murdered in North Korea. And the list goes on. We can turn to the Philippines, where we can see Duete there causing havoc. Or Venezuela, where we see Maduro oppressing his people in Venezuela. The world is full of evil men. But none of these evil men, even combined together, are anything compared to Satan. None of them are even combined together, exert the sort of complete control that Satan holds over this world. The Apostle John writing in 1 John 5 verse 19 says this, We know that we are from God, and the whole world, how much power does it take? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. To all the entire world in his palm, Satan, he must be extremely infinite, extremely powerful, finite being, but extremely powerful. Because Apostle John there reminds us that Satan is in charge over this world, over its politics, its economics, its religion, its education. It is all part of his evil totalitarian regime that he controls. The entire world is in an invisible spiritual cage. Now, this is an important question because somebody asked, you know, Satan is just one person. I mean, how, how can he have so much power that the whole world, as John says, lies in the power of the evil one? I mean, how is he so powerful? Well, the answer is because, as we've been learning in our Bible studies, uh, Satan is not alone. He runs his kingdom with his own bureaucracy, his own civil service, we might say. And we find this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in, not in earth, in the heavenly places. 
The Apostle Paul is telling us that Saturn is running a powerful organization with a clear sense of order, a clear sense of ranking. It has rulers, powerful angelic rulers, powerful authority, dominion, cosmic powers. Far beyond our grasp. And the present tense in Apostle Paul's verse there, did you notice in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, it says, over this present darkness. Paul is telling us that satanic control over our world is powerful and it is relentless. The devil works his servants round the clock. They never take a new leave. They're always working. They're always enslaving. And they are driven only by evil. And these powerful satanic forces are many. They live and breathe evil to the core. Their job is to tempt, to deceive, to enslave, and to oppress each and every human being in this world. I can't emphasize enough as I looked at this text that we must realize that we are all living in a spiritual slave camp. That's what this world is. It is a spiritual slave camp. And I know this is difficult for many of us to accept because we believe we are free people. We have lived our whole lives people telling us that you can be anything you want to be. We have lived our whole lives saying you can be free, as Lady Gaga says. I just, I just want to be free. We can become whoever we want to be. We, we believe we can change the world if we want. But the Bible says, no, that's just a human illusion. No human being is truly independent or free. You see, all human beings enter this world with invisible handcuffs, strapped to Satan. And all of us, if we're honest and if we care to pause to think, we sense this. Why are there so many religions, do you think? Why are there so many people trying to reach out to God? Well, the answer is religion is an attempt by man to try and escape the prison that Satan has trapped us in. But friends, there is no escape. There is no escape from Satan's tyranny. Because you know why? Because Satan is not just running an evil organization. Satan is a father in charge of his family. Did you notice the second image Jesus uses in verse 24 to 26? Particularly in verse 25 there. The second image Jesus uses there is an image of a house. Satan is like a powerful father with full and undivided control over his household. Look at verse 25. And if a house or a household is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. You see, the Bible tells us that since sin entered this world, the world has become split into two families. Each of us belongs to one of these two families. There is the family of God and there is the family of Satan. Where do we find that? We find that in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. If you turn there, First John chapter 3, verse 9 to 10 says this. No, sorry, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God 
nor is the one who does not love his brother. You can't miss the point that John is communicating that they are children of God and they are children of the devil. There is the devil as the father of Sam and there is God as the father of Sam. You see, all human beings, friends, enter this world actually by default carrying the son name of Satan as our father. All of us are born in that world like that. Even little, little ones. We are, brought, we are born straight into Satan's house of death, darkness. Uh, it is a house of horrors to use <laughs> given the Halloween season. We are all born into this house of horrors that Satan runs. It is a house filled with sin, filled with sickness, filled with death, filled with demonization. It is a wicked house. It is evil beyond understanding. That's what we are born in. That's what this world is. And we are trapped in it. Trapped in this spiritual cage, this invisible cage. And you see, because people live in darkness under Satan, all human beings share the same very dark and very frightening future with Satan. The Apostle Jude says this, Jude chapter 1, verse 12 to 13. Listen to what Jude says in Jude 1, verse 12 to 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, he's talking about false teachers, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting upon the form of their own shame. And then he says this, wandering stars for whom the gloom, listen to this, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The gloom of utter darkness. That's the future for all who belong to the house of Satan. And Jesus is painting here for us a naked truth, a painful truth, a dark truth, we might say. That Satan is terrible master, is a terrible master who was all human beings in an invisible spiritual cage. It is bleak, isn't it? Very bleak. But praise God that Jesus tells us a second truth about Satan. Because if he had ended there, if there is no verse 27, then we are lost. But thank God there is verse 27. Because in verse 27, we learn an important truth. We learn the second truth. Jesus delivers us from the power of Satan. Because the first truth is that Satan has undivided power over us. But the second truth is that Jesus delivers us from the power of Satan. Uh, in verse 27 there, Jesus gives us a little parable there. It's a sweet parable. It is a parable that pictures Satan as a strong man and Jesus as the one who comes to forcibly take away Satan's possession. Let's read it in verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods. Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his arms. Now we can spend many sermons on this verse. But just to quickly summarize it for you. First of all, the strong man is Satan. The house, as I've said, is this world. The house of horrors. What are the goods? Actually, the goods are human beings. Not the demons. The goods are human beings who have been enslaved by Satan and sin. And Jesus is God who has entered Satan's house of horrors to free man 
to steal the goods, so to speak. It's, it's an amazing picture of, of Jesus here as, as one who comes in. If you want to see him as a robber who steals by grace, or you want to see him as, as one who forces his way in as a great champion who defeats uh, somebody who has wrongly taken possession. I'll leave that up to you to work with that. But essentially, Jesus has entered this world to free us. We are the goods in Satan's house, and he's come to take us away. If you like, God has been born, listen to this, God has been born inside the house of Horus as the man Christ Jesus, and he has lived a sinless life inside that house, and then he has gone to the cross inside that house, and he has died on the cross to set us free. That is the wonder, the amazing wonder of the cross. Because you see, right there on the cross, Jesus takes on our sins against God and transfers everyone who trusts in him from Satan's kingdom to the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14 says this, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, that is Jesus, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The good news of Jesus is that Satan's power has been broken. His kingdom has been ransacked and conquered. And the captives have now been set free by Jesus. There is now, friends, no excuse for anyone to live under Satan. If you find the first point I was painting bleak, then remember there is no excuse to be under the first point. Because if you come to Jesus... And surrender, you don't have to deny Satan's power. But you can be free from Satan's power. Because if you come to Jesus, you no longer have to live in that invisible spiritual cage. Jesus has come to open it out and set you free. You can be free from Satan forever, this very moment. So no need to deny. Just come to Jesus and he will set you free. Remember this, friends, the truth about Satan is actually an ugly truth. It is that Satan is an evil person who holds people in an invisible cage, but it's worse than that. He only holds them there because they refuse to turn to Jesus. They have willingly allowed themselves to remain in the cage. The painful truth is that all people by nature worship Satan. But Satan is not forcing them to worship him. Because the way has now been found in Christ. And if anyone would turn to Christ in true surrender, they would no longer have to bow the knee to Satan. They can live free. Because if the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. And so the choice then is obvious, isn't it? For all of us here this morning. Do you want to remain as a slave of Satan? And perish with him? Or do you want to accept right now true freedom with Jesus? That's what the Bible offers. It is wonderful news. Uh, We call the gospel the greatest humanitarian project there is. Because it is out there setting sinners free from the real problem, which is their spiritual pain. They are real. So the question for you is simple. Do you want to remain in the house of horrors? Or do you want to live a new life with Jesus with a great future? No one can make this choice for us. 
My wife can't make it for me. I can't make it for her. Our children can't make this choice for us. We can't make it for them. Each individual person must decide to turn to Christ and receive Him. And be truly free. We have to come before Jesus, tell Him we are sinners, ask Him to forgive us our sins. Friends, it is madness to remain in a cage. And that's it. And we know that deep down. So let us come to Him. Surrender to Jesus so He can deliver us. Now, if you're trusting in Jesus, this is good news, isn't it? It is good news. Because if you already come to Jesus, you know you are free from Satan's power forever. You know the power of Satan has been broken over your life. And you know Jesus is greater than the strong man. Jesus is stronger than Satan, and he will keep you safe. Through whatever troubles you go through life, he will keep you because you've already been rescued. Christ has gone to such great lengths to come into this house of ours. He who is completely holy has entered our world. Why would he let you go? He won't. If you belong to him, be assured that you belong to him. The death of Jesus, friends, has not just taken away your sin. It has broken the devil's power over your life forever. You are free from the grief of Satan. Now, now, I know if we are honest, sometimes the Christian life does not always feel like much of a victory. Sometimes we face so many defeats. Sometimes we feel like the devil is breathing down our neck and we are at his mercy. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes living for Christ feels like I'm just being an hypocrite. Because I experience so many defeats myself. And sometimes we look at our own lives and we become terrified of our own capacity to do evil. A sin we thought we had conquered all of a sudden frightens us. I didn't know I was capable of that. Yes, you are. That's why you need the blood of Christ. So sometimes when that happens, we, we begin to doubt ourselves. We begin to wonder. Perhaps we are just in a losing battle. We sometimes wonder whether we are standing strong in Jesus. Well, beloved, if that is how you're feeling, remember this truth here. The second point says, Jesus delivers us from the power of Satan. The emphasis is on Jesus, not on the ass. It is on Jesus. It is about Jesus. It is about his deliverance of us. It is not about what we do. It is about what he has done for us. So stop looking at yourself. Keep your focus on our loving and powerful king, the Lord Jesus. Keep your eyes on him if you belong to him. And as you look at him, what do you see? You see him there on that brutal Roman cross. And as you see Jesus dying there, remember you are there with him. On that cross, Jesus has triumphed over all dark powers for you. And take a look at the empty tomb. It is really empty, isn't it? Because Jesus is alive. And you have risen with him. You are put on a new self now. You are now alive with Christ forever. Because death could not hold him. And neither can death hold you. And as you look at Jesus, our all-conquering king, we see that you look at him there. Where is he? Where is Jesus now? He sat. Amen. He sat in heaven. And friends, that is not just the only great truth. The great truth is that Jesus, our Amen, is now sat there and we are sat with him there. We are ruling and reigning with Christ. 
And friends, if I just encourage you, if you keep looking at Jesus there, sat there, keep focusing on him, one of these days you shall see Jesus, our dear Savior, face to face. You will live with him in the new heavens and the new earth. One day there will be no more sermons needed like this. There will be no need for sermons on Satan. There will be no Satan. One day there will be no more demons. No more death. No more sin. No more pain. And as I heard a sermon by Wilkerson recently, there will be no more delivery vans, he says. Why? Because we'll be home with the Lord. No need to move anywhere anymore. That's our future, friends. Beloved, whatever Satan does to us in this world, it does not change this important truth that one of these days, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. And if you're trusting in Jesus, this truth, whatever your situation, should fill you with amazing thanks to him. A sermon about the devil should not depress you. It should actually excite you that you are safe and sound in Christ. And be thankful that you are free now from a spiritual cage if you're trusting in him. But as I thought about this, I think this truth also has an application for us as a church. Because now that we are free from a spiritual cage, it should inspire us to get the message out to others. If you saw a child down the road being held in a cage, a physical cage in your neighborhood, and you had the key that could set that child free, would you not do everything in your power to set them free? Would you not? Beloved, your family, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues at work are being held in a spiritual cage by Satan. It is a powerful cage. It is an evil cage, stronger than anything that is man-made. And you have the key to set them free. And that key is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, please, friend, do not let Satan keep them in that spiritual cage. Let us not be complicit in allowing this defeated foe to keep people enslaved. Let it not be on our watch. Yes, we cannot turn people from Jesus, but we can pray, friends. We can join with one another to pray together that Christ would move powerfully to set them free. We can commit ourselves so much to the Lord that the Lord begins to work powerfully in through us. We can't turn the key. Only the Lord can do that. But we can love them. We can love them. We can ask God to help us put Jesus first so that we live attractive lives. We we don't want to get into heaven and and, and regret. We want to know that we did what we did. We did everything in the name of the Lord. And that we did everything we could. That we saw the plight of human, human beings around us as Jesus saw them. You see, God will always serve those he wants to serve. And I weep for the functional hyper-Calvinism that has ransacked our churches. Because we've perverted that doctrine of God's sovereign control and shackled every responsibility to share Jesus with others. Yes, God will serve those he wants to serve. 
But friends, what does it say about me? What does it say about me if I'm so heartless that I do not weep for those held in a spiritual cage around me? What does it say about our hearts? You get to heaven, but what does it say about your heart? If it doesn't pain you, but your friends, people you meet in shops, people you talk to, are being terrorized by Satan. What does it say about us? I know what he says about the Lord. He says about the Lord that he saves wretched sinners. He says about the Lord that he saves people that are heartless. What does he say about us? Beloved, we have the most precious and urgent message the world needs to hear. Jesus delivers us from the power of Satan. Let us share it. Amen.